The world is changing at a rate that we've never seen before. From business to art to sports, these changes are affecting every aspect of our lives. My name is Nick Kastner, and we're setting out to talk with the people who are altering the way things are done. Along with Alec McChesney, this is The Commonwealth. Our guest today is an NBA player, philanthropist, and venture capitalist. Anthony Tolliver is starting his 11th year playing professional basketball with the Portland Trailblazers. When he's not on the court snagging rebounds, Anthony leverages the money he's made playing basketball to invest in companies across a variety of industries, which was the focus of our discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Tolliver. Thanks for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, yes, of course. So, Anthony, when was the... Um, um, at, at, at what age did you realize that, uh, that you were in love with basketball? Man, uh, basketball has been uh, a love of mine, a passion of mine for uh, ever since I can have memories. You know, four or five years old, I can remember, uh, you know, going to sign up for uh, basketball at the, at the Boys and Girls Club and being a couple days too late. Uh, and that was maybe... One of the worst days of my life at, the, at that point. Uh, I could just remember loving to play the game so much that young uh, that, uh, you know, I wanted to, to really go get better. So, um, so yeah, man, it's been, it's been a huge passion of mine pretty much my entire life. And going back to, you know, when I was four or five years old. Yeah, yeah. Well, after growing up in Missouri, your high school won a state title, and then you signed to play at Creighton. How did you? Uh, how did you decide to play in Omaha? Well, you know, uh, growing up in Springfield, Missouri, uh, is not a huge town, but it also has you know enough. It wasn't in the country, you know, it wasn't the country town or, or anything like that. So I wanted to go to a place that wasn't too crazy, too big of a, a jump as far as, you know, I didn't want to go from Springfield, Missouri to Chicago or something like that, right? Um, you know, so Omaha was a bigger city, but not uh, extremely large. And then Creighton was just a, a really, really good school. Um, my mom was a teacher for 30 plus years. So, uh, you know, education was very important in our household. And so going to, you know, one of the best schools in the Midwest uh, definitely had a lot of appeal. How did you grow as a basketball player while playing at Creighton? Well, I mean, I grew uh, physically, obviously, is, uh, you know, definitely got a lot bigger and stronger and uh, just developed a lot more, um, you know, coordination and, and just kind of uh, really developed a, a, a great um, feel for my body and, and me being comfortable in it. And then, you know, as far as as a basketball player, I really uh, honed in on my, on my, uh, on my defense, uh, you know, being able to guard multiple positions and stuff like that. That was all cultivated at, at University of Creighton. So, uh, so, you know, it was, uh, it was all definitely a, a huge piece of what I am still today. Um, it was what I learned while I was there. Yeah. And then uh, you're now entering your 12th season as a um, as an NBA player. What was the transition from Creighton to the NBA like? Uh, it was definitely uh, difficult. Um, you know, uh, at the beginning, I played a lot of back to the basket, played center position uh, in. Um, 
was, you know, playing in, in the professionals, I wasn't playing, uh, you know, I wasn't playing the five anymore. So it definitely took a, a, a quite a while to to adjust to being on the wing and guarding, you know, some of the quicker people and and different stuff like that. So yeah, it definitely took a little bit, but um, you know, definitely was a huge benefit. Through your uh, through your career in the NBA, you have um, been heavily involved in the players players association. What? Um, how how did you re- how did you originally get involved in the uh, the players association? Well, I uh, originally became a rep kind of earlier in my my career, um, where you know a lot of guys don't take it very seriously. But I'm a business guy, and you know I really. Uh, you know, wanted to learn more about the business side of basketball. So, um, so I took that time and was able to uh, learn a lot more on the business side, and and then it kind of naturally turned into you know going to all the meetings, meeting all the people who are involved. You know, I wanted to you know go deeper into it and be more of help. So I was able to get voted in as one of the vice presidents and and then eventually got voted as uh, the secretary treasurer of the union so so that's where I'm currently uh, acting as now what was the um, what was a business takeaway you had while being a rep when you first started well as a rep you know as when I first started as a rep is whenever I really started to learn, uh, you know, that the NBA is truly about the bottom line, um, and which is fair, right? Uh, you know, of course, it's about basketball, but um, basketball, um, I would say, is secondary in a lot of ways to um, ways that they, that they can make money, right? And the only benefit. I mean that benefits all of us, right? That benefits all the players and everything else. So it's not there's it's definitely no complaining uh, in any of that. It's just that it's a fact, right? It's just one of those things that you know, once you understand it, once you get into it, then you understand why certain decisions are made, uh, why you know certain things are promoted and other things aren't. Um, ultimately, it's it's to try and affect that bottom line, and uh, and that bottom line ends up, you know ultimately uh, benefiting everybody who's involved into the NBA financially. So, um, you know, I think kind of the biggest and most, um, you know, eye-opening experience as a young uh, player in this league was just how how that was the number one thing uh, that kind of drove this league. And I, um, you, you mentioned earlier that you're now the uh, secretary and treasurer of the uh, NBA PA, and I, um, I saw online before this that there's like seven vice presidents. So, um, how, uh, how, how are you two? Uh, how, how do you have two positions when um, there's seven vice presidents? <laughs> you say how? How do I have two of them? Uh, yeah, no. Like, why are um, why is this, why is secretary and treasurer the same role when there's a whole bunch of vice presidents? Uh, <laughs> I, I think they just lumped it up, up into one. Uh, it's, uh, I think, yeah, it's more so just a, uh, you know, a figurehead type of mm-hmm. thing. It's, it. I, I have some definitely, I definitely have some specific. 
specific roles and responsibilities, but uh, I don't know why it even talks about secretary because I don't write anything down. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to script our meetings or anything like that, so uh, not quite sure why that's a part of the, the title, but um, but definitely uh, it is it is something that I take very seriously. I think it's it's great, and um, you know if there ever was a, a actual secretary uh, type of role. Um, then I would definitely, I would happily give that part of the role over to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You, um, you've said that your goal is to be known more of a businessman than a basketball player. Can you, um, can you detail some of your business ventures that you've been involved with? Yeah, sure. Um, so just going back to the beginning of my career, um, one of the first things I did after making a couple bucks was uh, I went out uh, went out and uh, bought my first investment property. Um, I still own it today um, and uh, and just continue to try to build my real estate portfolio up. I mean, that was kind of, that's kind of my base and kind of what I do the most of, I would say, um, is real estate investing. Uh, we used to do a lot of flips and, uh, and buy rentals and, and, and hold them. Um, but now we've uh, turned to the development side. We've been doing a lot of development over the last five years. So I would say that that's my number one, um, you know, business. Uh, I have Active Faith, uh, which I helped start earlier in my career, which is a, a Christian athletic apparel company um, that, um, you know, I was the first investor in. So, um, you know, definitely take a lot of pride in that. It's still rolling. It's still still running. Um you know, uh, making some very high quality, um, you know, faith-based apparel and um, enjoying that. Uh, I have a kids fishing company uh, that I helped start um, around that same time. Um, and it's uh, also doing really well. It's, it's um, you know, products are being uh, carried in all the major retailers across the country and some in Canada as well. Um, so... Uh, that company also is doing really well. Um, I helped start a company called Big Blanket, uh, which is uh, we literally got tired of being massive human beings and not having massive blankets that were great and comfortable. So we created them ourselves, and um, and and so now that's going really well. And we we haven't even uh, been live with that for a year yet, um, but it's it's. Uh, one of uh, my fastest growing businesses for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, and then as far as outside of that, I mean, I'm an investor in a whole lot of different things. I've invested in some Scooters Coffees down in Texas, uh, ETF Fitness out in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, uh, done all kinds of different investments in Lyft and uh, Lime. Uh, Airbnb, uh, all kinds of different things. So, um, so yeah, um, I kind of, like I said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I don't discriminate on opportunities. Uh, but I just try to take advantage of things that uh, that get presented to me and that I like. Yeah, those um, as you just said, all those opportunities are very different than one another. How do you um, how do you approach when to get involved in something? Well, some of those things are, I'm a consumer of them, you know, so some of the late stage, you know, pre-IPO, 
uh, companies that I've invested in, like a Lyft or Airbnb or Lime or, uh, you know, Hims or something like that. Uh, you know, those companies I'm a consumer of, right? So, you know, when I got the opportunity, and I've gotten opportunities to be invested invest in a whole lot of different companies, but the ones that I've gravitated towards are the ones that I use on a regular basis, right? Like every time we go out of town, we use Airbnb. Every time we go out of town, we use Lyft, right? Um, you know, when I'm downtown somewhere or whatever and I need to get from point A to point B and it's maybe a mile away, you know, I might not use Lyft then. I might want to use Lime scooters, right? So it's, uh, those are the types of things that I gravitate towards or the things that I already use, uh, in that, in that space. Uh, some of these other things, um, you know, I, you know, I have to have a personal connection to, to it a lot of the times for me to want to invest in it. For example, the kids fishing company, you know, I was a young, all of us who started it were, were all young dads who, you know, wanted to promote the outdoors and getting kids outdoors. And none of us were fishermen, but uh, all of us had that common thread. And so, uh, you know, we decided to go, you know, get into the fishing industry. So, um, so that was something that, you know, I was passionate about active faith with my faith. My faith is, you know, my number one thing is my base is my, uh, it's what I identify as first before anything else. So, you know, with that being said, me being a basketball player, me being a man of faith, uh, it only made sense for sports, in the, uh, you know, in my faith to come together and, and the way it came together is through the parallel line. So, you know, there's definitely, you know, a few things. ETF is, you know, a fitness company. It's a group fitness company that, you know, naturally, you know, I work out daily, um, sometimes multiple times a day, and that's a part of my lifestyle. So, you know, me investing in a fitness company, uh, once again, is something that is directly related to who I am. So, um, you know, not really, you know, any secret sauce, I would say, to all of the things that are, uh, that I'm invested in, but there's also, there is some sort of tie to every single thing that I'm, I'm invested in. Interesting. So, uh, you have, um, in some of those opportunities, you've partnered with other NBA players on those investments, such as uh, Steph Curry with some uh, some real real estate investments. How do you separate your competitive relationship on the court with your business relationship off the court? Well, it's, a, it's definitely uh, something you have to massage, um, something you have to make sure you keep separate. Um, you know, we're, there's so much uh, going on in our lives as individuals, um, outside of being a basketball player, outside of being a dad, outside of being a husband, uh, a lot of these guys that I do business with are in very similar situations to me. So, you know, keeping um, the business to business and then keeping the personal to personal uh, is definitely, uh, sometimes it's hard, but most of the time, you know, you keep it, uh, you can keep it pretty separate as long as you make an effort to. So, you know, you know, if I do dinner with Steph or something like that, um, we we might not talk about business at all, right? And we might just jump on the phone that following week and talk about business, you know, because that's a business call, right? But when we're together as individuals, that's just, you know, let's keep it, you know, casual. Let's talk about family. Let's talk about, you know, our kids and, and stuff like that, but not talk about business. So being able to separate uh, the two, uh, I think, is kind of the biggest 
Interesting. Um, yeah. So um, you have also um, you've said before that you love turning an idea into a product, and that's your true passion. Um, and that uh, like start- startups and entrepreneurship is your thing, uh, which is obvious. What uh, what have you learned playing basketball that has helped you succeed in business? Um, consistent hard work will pay off, and uh, that's not just I mean that's basketball, but that's literally can be applied to every part of life. Um, and I think the the everybody wants to talk about working hard, but nobody wants to talk about the consistency of working hard. Um, anybody can go work hard for one day. Anybody can go to the gym and shoot for four hours in one day. It, it's possible. Anybody can do it. But can you, instead of going one time a week for four hours, can you go six times a week uh, for one hour in that week? Um, well, sorry, one hour per day, right? And, and it, you know, a lot, a lot of people can do the one day for a really long time. Most people will not will not dedicate that much time to to things, right? So, you know, with basketball, I've never been a guy to go to the gym and stay there for four hours, five hours. This just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it's not sustainable. Um, I would rather go to the gym for and and do drills for forty five minutes or maybe an hour and then leave, right? Come back the next day, do the same exact thing. Come back the next day, do the same exact thing, right? And and be very consistent. So I think that with business, um, it, it's very similar. Uh, there's so many things with entrepreneurship that that parallel basketball and parallel parallel sports is you, know, you got to be able to work together as a team. You have to be able to sacrifice. You have to be able to work hard. You have to be consistent. Um, you know, you have to be able to. Um, you know, communicate very, very well. Because uh, if you can't communicate, then you can't sell your product, right? You can't, you can't get your product to market. You can't uh, talk to, uh, you know, any employees that you may have. Uh, you can't communicate. So, a lot of the same things that make you a, a good or a great basketball player or a good or a great leader in basketball um, are literally the exact same attributes that you need to be successful in business and entrepreneurship. Let's take a quick break so we can tell you about a live event we have coming up. On Thursday, November 14th, we are hosting a live recording at the Foundry in Lincoln, Nebraska. Happy hour starts at 4 p.m. At 5, Senator Anna Wisher is hosting a 20-minute long question and answer session. At 5.20, I'll interview Ali Schwanke, founder and CEO of SimpleStrat. The event will close by the same time happy hour ends, which is at 6. Check out our Facebook page to learn more about November 14th's event. Now, back to the show. You mentioned the, um, the leadership on the court and, and how, how well that relates off the court, and, uh, which kind of segues to, um, to my next question. of there, um, It's been reported very, very uh, frequently that 60% of NBA players go, go broke within five years of leaving the NBA. Uh, it's, it's obvious from all your business ventures that you're putting yourself in a situation for that not to happen. What, uh, why do you think the, the, that issue exists? Um, a lot of it is education. 
and not just your traditional, um, not just your traditional, oh, go to college and get a four-year degree type of education. Um, I'm talking strictly uh, financial education, financial literacy. Um, I think that financial literacy needs to be taught um, at a very young age um, growing up. And then not just to athletes, but to everybody. Um, there's just so much that comes with, you know, hey, like, hey, if you never have money, obviously, how could you ever learn how to, you know, have money or, or conduct yourself with money? Um, but, you know, everybody hopefully will have opportunities to have money at some point in their life, you know, or, or at least enough money to, to start something, right? Uh, to, to start a 401k or to start some sort of saving, right? Or whatever it may be. Um, you know, but if you don't have any financial literacy, I think that that really puts you behind the eight ball. And as soon as you get that money, uh, you know, our culture tells you to spend it. Our culture tells you to enjoy it. And so if you don't have a teacher, our culture will teach you. <laughs> you know, our culture will teach you uh, that, oh, well, you, you earn the money, so now go enjoy it. Instead of, well, you earn the money, now go make your money, make more money, or put your money to work. Um, that's not the normal thought process. So I think that's a, that's literally maybe half or more than half of the reason why so many guys go broke is, you know, a lot of these guys do not grow up with financial literacy. And so they get into these, they get these opportunities to make a lot of money. And, you know, you can make, you can make a hundred thousand dollars or you can make a hundred million dollars. If you don't know how to handle your money, you're going to go broke. Um, hundred million dollars will last you a lot longer than a hundred thousand. But, um, but if you don't know what you're doing, uh, it's just a matter of time. So, um, you know, for me, I think that's kind of the biggest thing, the biggest reason why 60% of NBA players go broke and then 70 plus percent of NFL players go broke, um, is because they literally just don't have, uh, you know, the education, the financial literacy that they need to, to really, um, to learn and to grow what they have. Did you receive that um, that sort of education from a young age? Uh, so indirectly. Um, so my mother was a teacher, like I said, for 30 plus years. Um, obviously, as everybody knows, teacher salaries aren't the greatest. Um, and uh, my mother and father got divorced at a very young age, so I grew up with my mom and my two sisters uh, on a teacher salary. Um, now, my mother was actually um, really, really good for the most part with her money compared to a lot of, you know, people in, in a similar position. She was actually able to, you know, get some a few rental properties and some different stuff like that. Um, so indirectly, I say I learned a lot. Um, especially, you know, the importance of real estate and ownership. You know, she owned she owned the home that we lived in all of our lives. Um, she owned a couple other homes. Um, you know, she made, you know, what she, uh, her salary, she made that stretch, you know, and was able to, to really teach us, you know, how to stretch a dollar. So I would say my, fan, my financial literacy class was not, oh, here's an abundance of money. What do you do with it? It was, you don't have money, this is how you make it last, right? And so, which is just as valuable, if not more valuable, in a lot of ways, right? So, um, so 
So I'd say her, um, you know, her teaching us those things helped me a lot because even when I did get money, uh, you know, it, you know, those were already instilled in me. And so, yeah, I had an abundance. Now I had to learn how to, to, to deal with the abundance, but, you know, I still to this day know how to, you know, make a dollar stretch, right? And to, how to save and how to, to, you know, um, you know, penny pinch a little bit, you know, instead of buying the, the, the cheese that's four dollars, you know, you can look at the back of the package. The same as that cheese might be two fifty. You know, just a different brand, right? Just stuff like that, like just little uh, details of life that that uh, not everybody gets taught. Um, you know, I was taught at a very young age, and I still implement those same principles today. Yeah, Anthony, you just mentioned about uh, dealing with the abundance as an NBA player. Was that is uh, was that an issue as you uh, got in, got into the league, or was it just something you dealt with? Uh, no, I mean it wasn't an issue for me. I was, you know, I was able to stay in college for four years. I got a finance degree, so you know, I had a really good base already. Um, and and then over time, I've read a lot of books on, uh, you know, just teaching myself and learning about. Uh, you know, kind of what to do, right? Like, you know, I didn't have a mom, dad, uncle, aunt, or, or, or you know, grandpa or grandma who ever had uh, money, who ever had any money, really, uh, any extra money that, that was like, oh, well, I, I don't know what to do with this type of money, right? Um, so, you know, and I lean heavily, obviously, on, you know, my advisors and stuff like that as well. Um, but as far as just learning, all right, well, what's next? Like, what do I do next? You know, just started, you know, getting it, you know, getting around people who who did have that type of money or whatever and who did who was successful at keeping it and, uh, you know, learning what they did and asking questions. So, um, you know, that was my that was my biggest learning thing tool was just asking questions to people who've done it and, uh, you know, learn from their mistakes and, and go from there. And, um, so, Anthony, one last topic for you. The, um, the Federal Reserve says that the average wealth for a white family in America is $933,700. Um, however, the average, uh, the, average for, the average wealth for a black family is 15% of that, sitting at $138,200. How would a black kid from the Midwest go about building wealth when they don't have professional athletic abilities? Um, well, first of all, uh, that is, a, that is a topic that is super important to me, and that's something that I, uh, that I really try and champion. I haven't had a chance to champion it nearly as much as I want to in the future um, because of my profession, but um, I really want to try to attack, uh, attack that uh, with all that I got after I'm done playing basketball is is really that, that that gap, right? That gap of wealth. Um, that, and it's not just, you know, obviously it's no one's fault of today, right? It's not like, oh, it's your fault, my fault, or anybody else's fault. But it's a, it's a, it's just a, a product of the past, right? It's a product of what's, what's happened in the past, um, policies of the past, um, you know, laws and everything else that prevented uh, a lot of black families from, developing multi-generational wealth, right? So I'm really big on uh, creating, uh, you know, uh, you know, different ways for black 
people to learn how to create uh, future generational wealth for so that so that that gap can shrink, right? Um, you know, not at the expense of of white families at all, obviously, right? Like white families, hopefully that number continues to grow, but hopefully for black families, uh, that number grows at a higher rate um, and closes that gap. And um, the reason why I think that's really important is because, you know, um, you know, I think that that is one of the biggest things you can do um, for your kids and for them to be able to uh, develop uh, generational wealth is to be able to, you know, pass, pass down not only financial uh, knowledge um, and but not only not only just finances but financial knowledge right um, so um, you know I, I really want to attack attack that and and really try and squeeze that gap uh, make sure that uh, you know hopefully more and more black kids in the Midwest and not only in the Midwest but just in general have the ability and the, the knowledge the know-how the financial literacy to to be able to start building that and you know one piece of advice um, that I have for you know a lot of people it's very simple um, it's not easy but it's very simple is um, figure out a way to help your kid get education uh, debt free one way or another um, you know get get your kid through high school through college um, and, and and if you can figure out a way as a parent to get your kid through college and have them come out of college without hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt um, you will set them up to have the ability to pass that next, you know, that, that generational wealth gap and, and increase it because, you know, going, you know, a lot of these people who are coming out of college who have, let's say, hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand $300,000 in debt, you know, they might not be paying that off until they're 50, 60 years old. And, you know, who's going to want to save up for their kids after they're 60, right? <laughs> no, you're going to want to enjoy your money after that, right? So, um, but if you're able to, if you're able to, um, you know, help your kid through college or at least get majority of their debt paid down, um, you know, then I think that changes the game and allows them to start saving and investing and actually building wealth instead of uh, just always paying the government or paying these loans back. So, um, yeah, uh, like I said, that's a, uh, that's a great stat, um, you know, to get to your attention, um, but it also is, it's sad um, at the same time, but like I said, it's just a product of, of our past, and so hopefully we can we can change some of that up and, uh, you know, continue to shrink that gap. Yeah, Anthony, honestly, I was nervous bringing it up, but I also, the, the extent of the divide is asinine to me, and talking about it addresses the issue in some way. So I'm I'm happy to hear that you're as um, as passionate I guess as I am, or even more so. Um, what you you mentioned that you're planning to champion this once your career is over. Do you have any plans to do that, or are they are you still forming them as you're finishing your career? Yeah, I mean I don't know exactly how I want to attack that. I mean I, I wouldn't say that that's going to be my number one priority, or you know, but it also is is one of those is one of my passions. Um, so. You know, I definitely, I know that there are some, you know, programs and some different things around the country who are, you know, really attacking financial literacy, right? And so for me, um, you know, being a part of those programs, being a part of, uh, you know, even starting some programs for financial literacy, I think are, you know, could could 
greatly help and uh, you know um, help these these communities, these underserved communities around the country uh, that, like I said, don't have access to these financial literacy uh, courses, classes that you know that a lot of you know uh, Caucasian people get for free, you know, and a lot of times get at home, right? Uh, you know, those those type of conversations, you know never happened at my house, like I said, uh, you know, financial uh, literacy, uh, you know, was not really taught at my dinner table. Um, it's because we didn't really have extra money to invest, right? So if you don't have extra money, how can you teach me how to invest extra money? Because you don't do it, right? So I think that that's, um, you know, something that, you know, like I said, it's just really, I'm really passionate about it. And I hope that, you know, I'm able to, to really do something with uh, my time, um, you know, after I'm done playing basketball, I'll really do some some unique things with it. Yeah. So as a um, as a as a white guy from um, from Nebraska, how how what can I do to help solve this issue? Do you do you have any advice advice for people in my situation? Absolutely. I mean, I think that your your uh, your goals can be very similar and lined up with my goals and. And that's just to be uh, obviously upfront and honest with it. Um, you know, uh, let people know what that gap looks like and how you can attack it is help to educate more people, right? Help educate more people on financial literacy. Help educate more people on what they can do to to help the next generation, uh, their kids and their kids' kids out, right? Um, you know, uh, support, support some of these, so support some of these, programs that are you know are out here literally doing after school programs for underserved people right um you know it, those are all things that help right those are all they're incremental right they're, they might be small might not be 50 hours a week for you or anything like that i mean there's not many people that will do- dedicate that much time but you know who's to say you know you don't maybe you do a small donation of time or even resources to an uh, organization who is promoting these things, uh, you know, promoting financial literacy and, and African-American communities and stuff like that. So, I mean, everybody can help. I mean, it's it's not a, it's not a just, oh, it's not just up to black people to change it. Um, it's anybody who, who's passionate about something like this, uh, I think that uh, there's, there's ways to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, whether or not you really want to. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably the biggest the biggest thing is just taking a small step and, and, and you know in the changes and, and go from there. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to share your perspective with me today. I appreciate it a lot. Absolutely, absolutely, no problem at all. That will do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. We would love for you to subscribe to our channel and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also like the Commonwealth on Facebook and follow Alec and I on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. We release episodes on Mondays, so stay tuned for next week.